Good morning and welcome. For some strange reason, I feel like I've been away. And I guess I have. But uh, always great and awesome to get back. And we, uh, we have not been in the book of Revelation for the last month. So uh, here we go. We're, uh, we're, we're back into the book of Revelation. And if uh, you'll turn to Revelation eleven fifteen. And while you turn there, I just want to give you an encouraging word to uh, consider the marriage seminar that's going to be out at Woodcliffe. Uh, I know it seems perhaps maybe a little expensive, but I'll tell you what, it is well worth the investment uh, in your marriage um, and with rela your relationship with one another. Uh, Pastor Don and his wife, Jean McClure, uh, will be sharing that seminar, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Well, we're in Revelation 11. You know, it's kind of uh, uh, thinking about it uh, because, you know, as we open the book of Revelation, it tells us that there's a special blessing. I, I think there's a blessing, period, amen, in just looking at the Bible and the Word of God. We all know that. We can testify to that. But we're promised a special blessing, you know, when we read this particular book. I was kind of thinking, well, Lord, what is that? And I'm sure it's probably more than what I can come up with ideas, but I was kind of thinking, you know, for the believer, the blessing is knowing the future. Amen? Just simply knowing what's coming down, uh, because then we can live accordingly. Uh, we, we, can, we can act in such a way uh, where we want to give glory, you know, to God, uh, that there is an end game in view, and we need to understand that. And I think the blessing for the unbeliever when they come to the book of Revelation, whether they read it or hear it, is to get saved. Amen? Amen. I mean, I think the Bible scared the hell out of a lot of people, okay? And I mean that in a theological kind of way. Uh, it, it has scared hell out of them and heaven into them, Amen. just like it did for us at one time. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're in Reve uh, Revelation 11.15. And I'll read, and we're just going to look at this, the rest of this chapter today. Um, another thing I just wanted to, to announce, uh, we um, pray for Margie. Uh, she's in, in uh, Arizona with our daughter, uh, helping her move. And so if you would just keep that in prayer, uh, my daughter's going through a separation. And, uh, it, it, you know, it isn't, it isn't all, you know, written in stone and finished at this point, but uh, we're just praying for a, a miraculous breakthrough. We, we know that our God is able. And so if you'd pray for that. And also, too, um, I've, uh, uh, I, I've had this in the works for you know, several months now, even before the Israel thing. But I am going to Peru this week. And so I'm going to be there with Pastor Bill Gallatin, uh, Pastor Ted. Um, and we're going to be there uh, in Lima, Peru. And then we're going to be up in the mountains of Peru at a Bible school. So would you pray for that? We just pray, um, especially for me when I travel. And it's like God has to drag me by the scruff of the neck uh, into, these, into these kinds of things. Because I don't like to travel. Uh, I'm not really a good traveler. I'm not a good sleeper. And uh, so if you would pray for me, I would really, really appreciate it. And with that, verse 15, uh, then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, 
and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, that's worth, a, worth an amen, isn't it? I mean, we're going to hear that. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be kind of hanging off the balcony when we hear that. But it's going to be a glorious announcement. And, and so we're told that the 24 elders who sat before God and on their thrones, they fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And it's because you have taken your great power and have reigned. And the nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, uh, that you should give or you, that you should reward, uh, and that your servants, that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. And with that, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, you have revealed yourself to us, and you have shown us the future. There, there's something in human nature, Lord, all of us, that, uh, Lord, we, we, we would love to see the future. And Lord, you show us what we need to see. And as we look at the future here of the world, Lord, it's a little scary. And we're thankful, Lord, that you grant to those who believe and trust you, you grant a great escape. Lord, we call it the rapture. And we thank you, Lord, that you have provided, Lord, uh, that uh, your church, your bride, your people will not be on the earth at this time. Only those, Lord, who will be saved, Lord, during that period. And I would imagine, Lord, there are many who have heard studies in Revelation and Lord, they will come to faith, Lord, during that time. But Lord, how much more so we pray that it could be now, Lord, in this day, in this age, Lord, giving us this great opportunity to respond to the gospel, to be saved, Lord, from that time of judgment that is coming upon the world. And Father, I pray that as we consider these things, Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom, and wisdom in such a degree that it would impact our behavior our conduct, or our lifestyle. Lord, we want to live in a way that really reflects that we belong to you. Lord, the, the world outside of Christ we know is hopeless. Lord, you're the God of hope. And Lord, I pray that by our lifestyle, by the things that we say, the things that we do, as people observe our life, they would realize that we're a people of hope. And Lord, that we would be able to tell them and, and share with them, and, and just bear witness to what you've done, Lord, in our hearts and lives. So, Lord, I pray as we, we look at these things that you would once again write, Lord, your truth upon our hearts. For, Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, so as we come now to this seventh and this final trumpet, and, and it's the seventh only in this series of trumpets. Remember, there were uh, seven seals seven trumpets, and there will be seven bowls uh, that will take place that basically usher out of this seventh trumpet. Uh, but it's not to be confused with the last trump of 1 Corinthians 15, okay? Uh, there's many people that confuse that, uh, well-intended, uh, and when they confuse, the, you know, uh, the, the, la the last trump of 1 Corinthians uh, 15 
which corresponds to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is referred to there as the trump of God. That's the, that's the last trump for the church. And we talked about that particularly, remember, when we came uh, to chapter 4. And, and John is symbolized in the sense of the church being called to heaven. Uh, as he hears a voice saying, come up here, or come up hither, you know, come up to heaven. And so it's very important that we don't confuse this trumpet uh, that is the final in those series of seven judgments, uh, seven trumpets that, that basically reflect judgment. Because if you confuse them, then you have the church here at this midpoint of the tribulation. And that's why many people say, well, the church has to go through the first uh, three and a half years of the tribulation because the church is imperfect and need to be purified. Well, they're right about one thing. <laughs> the church is very imperfect. But the fact of the matter is, we are seen positionally forgiven and cleansed and perfect, what? In the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is about. That's what happens when anyone comes to the cross of Christ. You are now in Christ when you believe in him, when you trust in him. And because of that, because of the cross, your judgment, my judgment, and anyone's judgment, that basically would have been theirs, is carried out upon the cross. And now what's attributed to you and me is basically the perfections of Christ. That's what it means to be forgiven. That's what it means to be forgiven of our sins. Uh, we're forgiven, basically, uh, we're pardoned not only of our sins, but, but our judgment is pardoned. Uh, you know, we are, uh, we are cleared in a sense. We, we, are, we are pardoned from that future judgment that would be against us. And so I think it's important just to, to understand that because remember, in Book of Revelation, the church is not mentioned after chapter 3 and then only once again in chapter 19 when the church is returning to the earth with Jesus Christ. So in this period, we find the church basically in heaven. If anybody tells you differently, they really don't know, understand what they're talking about. They really don't understand the Bible. And I understand there's different eschatological positions on this. There's three main positions, pre-trib, that's us, mid-trib, what I just explained, and then post-trib. And uh, I don't know how anybody believes they're going to be uh, raptured right at the end of the tribulation and then return right away with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That does not make sense to me. And theologically, it doesn't make any sense either. So we understand that the church will not suffer the tribulation period, have to go through that. And there are three direct references. You want to write them down. I'm not going to turn, we're not going to turn to them. We don't have time. But there's three references here that you can look up later that basically uh, where Paul basically says in a, in a one or two verse um, you know, thing there that we will not be, the church will not be in the tribulation period. And it's Romans 5, 9, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. And, and basically, to sum it up, I'll just tell you what they say. Uh, we are not appointed to wrath, okay? Remember, the tribulation is what? A time of what? It's a time of wrath where God's wrath is being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And also, too, it's a time also uh, where he is bringing the, the Jewish nation as he has made his covenant promises to the Jew uh, that he is bringing the Jew. Uh, remember, as, as Paul, you know, the rabbi, apostle, tells us in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that the Jew has just basically been set aside. And we, like a wild olive branch, has just been grafted in. We have been grafted into this, you know, uh, the, the Jews speaking of them, you know, in a metaphorical kind of way. They're, they're, they're the natural olive tree. And so they've been just simply set aside for a period of time 
for what is we refer to as the age of grace or the church age, where God is what? He has set the Jew aside. Why? So he can reach out to the lost Gentile world. Remember, in a sense, that was Israel's call, right? We, we see that. But they failed that. They, they failed that. And so, and it was all part of God's plan. And so he just basically set them aside. And now it's a church age. Not that he's not saving Jews. He saves Jews now as well as Gentiles. But the fact of the matter is, God in his grace now, during this time, this 2,000-year window, this thing we call the age of grace, he is reaching out to whosoever will, anyone you know, in the world. And that's why it's important that we have been commissioned Amen. We've been commissioned, you know, with the gospel to reach out to our friends and to our neighbors. And I think it's very important, too, that remember, God hasn't called us to be doomsday preppers. All right. I mean, we even have programs that are dedicated to that whole theme, you know, storing up, you know, storing up, uh, you know, go, go, you know, dig a hole somewhere, go buy a piece of property, uh, you know, out no man's land and dig a hole and figure out how you're going to, you know, build, make your house down in that hole and how you're going to store up all this sort of stuff. You know, it's interesting because when Jesus said, um, he said, don't give any thought for tomorrow. And, and he's referring to these kind of things. And, and, and if you think about being a doomsday prepper, you are, you're not just concerned. You are worried half to death about surviving a difficult time to come. Now, I think that some people should be doomsday preppers. Non-Christians, <laughs> because they're going to need it, folks. They are going to need it, and that's why I think um, I think I think it's I think it's incumbent upon us as believers for you know for those that we know and love that we're praying for uh, to give them basically a heads up so that when we are gone, uh, they're going to know what to do, and uh, and maybe maybe uh, you know you want to set aside a special Bible um, or a CD. Uh, explaining what they should do now that they're in this horrible, difficult time if we haven't told them uh, verbally. So as we come to verse 15, this announcement, I believe, has been long awaited, anticipated uh, by, by angels and all those in heaven. And we're told here in 15 that basically the seventh angel, he sounds, and there's loud voices in heaven, and they're all saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And I believe, as your Bible tells you, there's an exclamation point there, and there simply, simply should be. And I think this trumpet signifies several things. And the first one is this, that verses 15 through 19 is a general outline of the second half or the rest of the book of, of, of Revelation. It's basically outlining the second half of the tribulation period. Um, it has, in other words, it's, it's spoken prophetically. It hasn't actually happened in chapter 11 here, but it's, it's, it's beginning, you know, as God sees things, God sees the end from the beginning, doesn't he? He speaks things so often as we see them prophetically as if they're already done. And so that's what we see here, this announcement, uh, speaking about what's going to transpire and take place uh, through the second half and the remainder of the tribulation period. And the second thing that we see here, which is very important, is that the Lord is directly and actively intervening in the affairs of men. We don't see that today, folks. Now, the fact is God is sovereign, and yes, he can intervene. He answers prayer. Uh, he intervenes for his purposes, select purposes. He intervenes also, too, um, as, as he, you know, perhaps rescues his people, intervenes in the life of his people, performs a miracle uh, in response to prayer. Uh, yes, yes, we, we see, but, but also, too, we realize that, that that is basically under the radar. 
That, that's why people, you know, we know that God intervenes. He's intervened in our life. But when you try to tell somebody that doesn't know God or is not a, a, a biblical Christian, they kind of look at you like, you know, are you really okay uh, kind of thing? You know, uh, you know, have you been smoking something or whatever the case may be? Uh, they look at you because, you know, they don't see God. They don't understand his fingerprints. They don't see him working in any way. Uh, but at this particular time, uh, what's happening at this seventh trumpet, this announcement, is God now is proactively and directly involved in the affairs of men. Because what has happened for the last so many thousands of years, that God has basically allowed people, he's allowed mankind to choose and work their own will, and we see the evil that is you know, that perpetuated, um, that has taken place in our culture, and our society. I, I think a lot of people get upset about that uh, when... They're, when they're trying to reconcile the fact of here is a good God, but why does, you know, why is this evil in the world? Uh, well, as we look at the Bible, we understand these things. Uh, God did not make us robots. Uh, he, he didn't make us automatons. Uh, he has given us a, 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 a will to choose. He has given us freedom of choice. And we see those choices are not always good. Um, and, and yet we see that in behalf of God's purpose and, and God's people, that yes, he does. And thank God for that, he does intervene. And thirdly, we see that he is coming because he is the rightful king of this universe. And he has come basically to assume his rightful place upon the throne. See, basically the world now is in rebellion against him. And you see it come out. You see it, you know, as we read Revelation uh, you know, God highlights certain things for us. We don't get every detail of what's going to take place, but we get the, you know, the general gist and, 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 and the, the important highlights that we really need to get and see uh, what's taking place between, what's going to take place in this, you know, on this earth and what's taking place between man and God. And we can see the devil's part in that. Uh, we're going to see that in a very, uh, very big way when we get to chapter 13, you know, the Antichrist, that figure, that is Satan's right-hand man, uh, that he's going to be the guy that basically the world is going to, um, you know, bow down and, and, and elect, you can say, uh, whether it's, it's perhaps maybe more of a coup or a takeover. Uh, but basically, you know, they're going to look at this man that the Bible has several names for. You know, the beast is one of the names, uh, the son of perdition. Uh, the Antichrist, and they're going to look at him, and they're going to say, who's like this guy? And I, and I think because he's going to have an incredible satanic power, uh, he's going to be able to fix a number of things. He's going to be able to, he's going to have a lot of answers uh, that, that people, he's going, to, he's going to very much look like a godlike kind of figure because he's going to be satanically and very powerfully energized. The Bible tells us that during this future period that we're looking at, there's going to be many satanic miracles uh, that are going to take place, you know, through the Antichrist, and he's going to be energized. He and his minions are basically going to be energized, you know, by Satan himself. But we see the Lord is coming. Right now, the earth is basically uh, controlled by rebels and squatters. Uh, I was thinking about Ezekiel 21. There's a verse there regarding, uh, it's regarding Messiah, but it's, it, it speaks about the king of Judah. And a lot of times we see these, uh, these analogies, these little pictures, little vignettes, if you will, in the scripture, uh, and they're prophetic. Uh, they, they speak about not only maybe that particular king of that particular time, 
but it looks forward oftentimes prophetically uh, to the times that the Bible speaks about, and particularly the day of the Lord. But, uh, and this is the king of Judah, and God is going to speak here. Now, he's speaking here to the royal line, because through the royal line would come Messiah. But before Messiah came, there, you know, many of the kings were evil people. They weren't supposed to be. Uh, remember, that was one of the things that God spoke to David, uh, that he was going to preserve the royal line that came through David. Remember, the, tw- the ten northern tribes went into idolatry. And so God was keeping you know, the tribe of uh, Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, because he was preserving them because of the royal line. But even though uh, the royal line was going to come through Judah, uh, that royal line had been corrupted by Satan. Uh, and though, so, we saw, so we see that there was a judgment. And so God is saying here through the prophet Ezekiel uh, that uh, as far as the human kings are concerned, he's going to remove the crown. But the crown's going to come to the one whom the right is, it belongs to him. And of course, that was prophetically speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read these verses uh, to you. It says, Now to you, O O profane and wicked prince of Israel, uh, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end, And thus says the Lord, remove the turban, take off the crown. I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. And I was kind of thinking about that verse in relationship to this particular time, because the king of kings is coming. And you know what? This world, he created it. It belongs to him. It's his right. And that's why it's important, you know, as, you know, when we come into a relationship, we, we realize, you know, that, that we, you know, that we bow down to, to, this, to this awesome king, this mighty God, this one who's created us, the one who died for us and, and, and loves us dearly. But also, too, he's God Almighty. He's the creator of the universe. Paul talks about that. It's kind of hard for us, I think, to maybe... Uh, Couple that all, put it all together, that, that, that Jesus Christ um, is God Almighty. Yes, there's a Trinity, there's a Father, there's a Son, and the Holy Ghost. But we find that uh, you know, Jesus Christ is, is the creator. He's the creator. And uh, we, you know, the Bible reveals that. We, you know, we can't understand that. We can't understand how the Bible says there's only one God, and yet he's expressed in three persons, uh, and, and we have the Son, you know, with the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, when Jesus Christ came to the earth, uh, the, the throne was not abandoned, okay? God came in the person of his Son. And, and we find out, uh, uh, as, as revealed through Scripture, that, that he is no less than our Creator, our Creator God, the one who keeps us. Uh, the one who has created all things, the one uh, whom we will worship. He's, he's referred to, he's also referred to as the ancient of days. And so it's hard for us to understand. You're never going to understand it. You're never going to fully understand the Trinity. And it's like many things in the Bible. You can't understand, but you accept them by faith. There's so much that we, we accept by faith. You know what's interesting? I, I love Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, by faith... We understand. Now, here's how we think. Okay, if I can understand, then I'll have faith. No, 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 no. It it doesn't work that way. By faith comes first. By faith, we understand. 
In other words, you put your faith in the Lord and, and he will give you understanding about a situation and, and about, you know, some theological thing that you could never figure out on your own. And, and even, even at, at very best, as we do believe and as we do trust, there are still things that we still can't get our brain around, that, that we accept. We simply accept it, you know, by faith. I'll tell you what, there's a day coming when you and I will have all those questions answered. We'll, we'll have a, a we'll, we'll, in our glorified state, uh, we will have a, an insight and an ability to say, oh yeah, now, now I see. Now I understand the Trinity. Now I understand, you know, when I looked at all the, you know, considered all the perplexities and problems and crises of my life. Now I can see what God was doing, what God was working. And so we find, again, as he's coming, he's going to establish himself, you know, his kingdom as, you know, the, the rightful king. He's going to reign on the earth. He's going to bring real justice. You know, that's one thing you see today. We hear the stories of the miscarriages of justice. They happen all the time. Just a few weeks ago, um, a man was, was 25 years um, in prison. Can you imagine that? That taking that kind of that kind of time out of your life. I mean, we don't like to waste time, do we? A lot of times we think, well, you know, just this, you know, week was a waste of time or whatever the case may be. And, um, and that man obviously uh, was, was in, in prison because of the color of his skin. Now turn to chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter two. If you don't want to turn there, I'll read it to you. And, and Isaiah here gives us a picture of what it's going to be like uh, after this final war is settled in Revelation and the Lord establishes his kingdom when he's a king reigning on this earth. Isaiah 2 speaks about it. And we get these, these little prophetic glimpses of what it's going to be like in the millennial age. You know, sometimes people confuse the millennial age with the new Jerusalem and the eternal spiritual heaven. Because they say, well, how come there's going to be animals there? Well, I'll tell you what. When the Bible speaks of that in the prophets, it's speaking of the millennial age. Okay, it speaks about the, 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 the lion laying down with the lamb, the child playing by the cobra's hole. Um, in other words, the curse is going to be lifted from the earth during this thousand-year reign when Jesus is reigning upon the earth. Isaiah is speaking of it when he says this, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, I'm in Isaiah 2, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of, of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Do you know during the millennial period there will not be any more wars? Do you know sin will be dealt with immediately? I don't think there's going to be a need for police forces and all that sort of thing. Um, all the, you know, you think about, you know, as, as uh, we're right now having, you know, 
um, a blowhard contest between us and Russia and threatening, you know, about, uh, you know, what we're going to do militarily, how we're going to build things up and so forth. And think about all the military budgets, you know, that, that are going on right now, you know, in the major powers of the world. Well, all those military budgets, all this stuff is going to be turned into, um, you know, basically agriculture, you know, feeding the nations of the world. It's going to be so different. We can't even begin to imagine what is the difference and what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ is reigning on his throne. And that's why there's shoutings in heaven. That's why there's rejoicing. And we see that here as we turn to verse 16 in chapter 11. Heaven is rejoicing. It's singing. And it's simply because, you know what, there's no more delay. It's finally happening. It's finally taking place uh, over in... Uh, chapter 10, when we were in chapter 10, uh, referring you back to verse 7, it says, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God uh, would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So that's what we find here. There's not going to be any more delay. And you know why God is delaying right now? I kind of wonder, when's this all going to happen? You know why God delays? You know why he's long-suffering? It's salvation. He's saving people. Hey, aren't you glad that he didn't wrap up his program in 1940? I mean, for most of us, that just wipes it right out, you know. We, we were never even born. But, but he's, he's merciful. And, and there's many, and I, you know, I look, at, I look at this culture, and one of the things that, and I want to just ask you to pray about this with me. I am praying for the youth culture of our society. I mean, I just look at the, the schools. The schools in, in, in the Monroe, uh, Ontario, Wayne County area. We're talking about tens of thousands of kids. And I don't know the number, but I would imagine it's high in the 90% that are not saved. And, and it's really, it's really, it, 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 it Burdens my heart. I want to see these kids saved. And I want to ask you to pray. Pray with me. That, that God would give us open doors and, 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 and work. You know, it's interesting. The revival that took place in the late 60s and early 70s basically started in the youth. It started in the youth. Do you know the great Welsh revival started in the youth? Do you know who was the key individuals uh, in the Welsh revival? Uh, that basically, uh, you know, jumped over the ocean to the United States. I think it was Evan Roberts was, was the, the key guy uh, in the Welsh Revival. He was like 20 years old. Man, I'd love to see God do that again, wouldn't you? One, one of the guys who's, who's an usher here, and... Uh, he has said, I've had a dream three times and I can't, can't get it out of my mind. He said, I looked in the sanctuary and it was filled with young people. And I said, Lord, bring it on. Bring it on, Lord. We, we, our, our society, our culture is in such great need of that kind of thing. And so in verse 16, we see the, the 24 elders. That's representative of the church. That's the church, basically. That's a, there's 24 elders, but they represent the entire church that's in heaven. And what are they doing? They're falling down on their faces. They're worshiping God. 
And notice how they ascribed him three different titles. We give you thanks, O Lord, God Almighty. The word Lord here is Adonai. It's simply the word master. And let me ask you this morning, is he the master of your life? And it's interesting sometimes when you see somebody address God, if they really don't know the Lord, you can tell just in the title they assign to God. And when they speak of him, they don't speak of him in an intimate, personal kind of way. He needs to be your Lord. Is he your Adonai? Is he your master? It's a Hebrew word. We see it as this Lord uh, uppercase L, uh, lowercase O-R-D. We just say, oh, Lord, yeah, okay. And then God, it's the word, it's the word Elohim. It's in Genesis 1.1. He's the creator God. Do you know, even for those who don't believe, that he's their sustainer. I, I am so thankful for the keeping power of God in my life and in our lives. God is sustaining you. There was, a, there was a gal in the church, and she's in the church, and uh, she usually comes to second service. And um, a couple of months ago, we were talking about this, and uh, she goes in and, and does upholstery for people. And uh, she went into this wealthy person's house out in Menden. And uh, as she walked in, she saw this beautiful palatial home. And she said, you are blessed. And she said, no, I am not. I got this all myself. I did this all myself. And, and I remember that sister told me that. I, hmm, how sad. She doesn't know that God gave her that ability. God provided for her. God sustained her. God kept her. She thought she'd done it all for herself. And then the word almighty is simply the word El Shaddai. It simply means he's the all-sufficient one. That's what it means when we say almighty. In, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's El, it's El Shaddai. You know, the all, you know, the one who is all sufficient. He is sufficient for you and me for everything that we need. A lot of people think, well, you know, you know, I'll go to church for an hour on Sunday and that's all I need. You know, I'm good. I'm good. But he's sufficient for everything we need. Everything we're involved in, every decision. We, 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 we need him. We need him far more than we ever really fully realize. Now he goes on here saying, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, in other words, the fact of the matter that he spans eternity. And you know, I think about here, John, uh, writing here, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Isn't that the core aspiration of the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Is that a part of your prayer life? Is that a part of your theology? That's why John said, even so, come quickly. Oh, be careful that you, <laughs> that you think there's something more in this life that you have to enjoy. I mean, I think it would, I think it would really greatly discourage a lot of people if they thought the Lord was coming tomorrow morning. Oh, my goodness, all this wonderful stuff I didn't get to do. <laughs> And if he comes tomorrow morning, I'm thankful because that means I have to sin a lot less. That means that, man, we're out of here. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will. Thy will be done. And then he says here, because you have taken your great power and, your, and you have reigned. And, and you see, this is basically the hope of all the ages bound up in this one great, incredible act. This is what people have prayed for, God's people have prayed for, for many, for millennia, that, Lord, you would come, you would take your power, and that you would reign. You know, finally, we, you know, the Bible says God is a God of hope. And the Bible speaks about the, a blessed hope. You've heard that terminology? Have you read that in the book of Titus? It speaks about having a blessed hope. What, what's the greatest hope that you have? And now, we all have our hopes and aspirations, don't we? But this is the most blessed of all hopes that the child of God should have. And in Titus, uh, I'll read it uh, to you. I think I would, but I guess I didn't highlight it. But in Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, where are we here? Chapter 2, you're right. Okay. Titus says this. He's speaking here about the grace of God in verse 11 and how it brings salvation, and that has appeared to all men. And, and then he says, here's the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as he has come into our life and brought salvation, what a wonderful thing that is. But, but I think we have to be very careful that we don't assign more importance to some other thing that we really feel needs to happen before I go to heaven or the Lord comes. The most blessed of all hopes is that the Lord would come. I mean, in a sense, heaven is waiting there with bated breath. He says we're to be looking for that blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 18, we find here in, this, in the context of this uh, final stretch in the tribulation period that the nations were angry, we are told. And, you know, crisis often brings out a resentment and anger toward the Almighty. You know, natural man views God as interfering. Uh, we see that oftentimes, that kind of sentiment. Uh, when something takes place, you know, some tragic thing may take place and people may shake their fist at God or cry out, you know, you know God, why, why are you doing this? But it's interesting that we find the world at this time because remember God is actively, proactively and directly getting involved. They realize that God is fulfilling his purposes and they're angry at him. The world, in a sense, is going to shake their fist at Almighty God. I think people, I, I think perhaps maybe they're going to maybe try to get their cannons out when the Lord's coming and they can see him coming. Let's load up the cannons. Let's get rid of these guys. And, and you know, the devil's interesting, too, because he has painted this picture of alien invasion and all that sort of thing. Well, there's going to be an alien invasion, okay? There really, really is. But it's going to be the Lord, the creator, the one who has made us and coming back to establish his rule and his reign. Isn't it wonderful for you and I that we have had this great opportunity 
to say, Lord, I want you to rule and reign in my heart. Uh, Lord, I want you to reign in my life. Because we realize that he's the Prince of Peace. That, that when he comes into the heart, when he comes into the life, he brings a peace that passes all understanding. And, you know, I, I understand why people do things. You know, look at, look, at, look at the tremendous violence that we see out there in our culture. So many things that are just inexplicable. And you know why that is? The Bible says man is at war with God. He don't, man doesn't know it, but that's what sin does. You know, sin has put man at enmity with the Almighty. And so we see the, the murder, the mayhem, the killing, the wars. It seems like the wars never end. Because man is at war with God. But man takes it out on one another. And it's only when the Prince of Peace comes in and invades the life. How the anger can cease. The thrashing about. The frustration and as soon as Christ came in to my life, and I'm sure many of you have that same testimony, how everything changed. The war ceased because Christ, the Prince of Peace, came in and established his kingdom within our hearts, within our lives. So man sees God as interfering. But doesn't he have a right? He's a creator. He's the sustainer. I think Paul argues that point, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 9, where he basically says, you know, he's the potter, we're the clay. Doesn't the potter do with the clay what he wants to do? Don't you, don't you have a sovereign right, on, you know, basically to do within, well, well, within the law, to do what you want on your property? And if you have big enough property, you can raise pigs, you can raise horses, uh, you can have animals and all that sort of thing, and you can have your own little world there if you want. That's yours. And if something is, you know, sick, whatever the case may be, you, you have a right for that animal to put it to death, to put it out of its misery, because it's yours. Nobody can come and tell you what to do in your house. This is God's creation. It belongs to him. And the Bible teaches us he's given you and me a stewardship. We're stewards. We're stewards. I've realized that whatever God gives me, he gives it to me here, and it just kind of goes through my life and through my hands. And by the time we get out here, it's gone. Because that's life. We have a shelf life. And that's why it's important. Don't waste the currency of your life. Don't, don't, that's, that's one of the messages of the Bible. Don't waste the currency of your life on trivial matters. And as somebody once said, it's sort of like straightening out this life so often for, you know, much of it can be like straightening out the deck chairs on the Titanic. It doesn't make any sense because it's sinking. And that, you know, the world, the, John tells us the world and this and its desires are passing away. And how important it is that we're, we're living for Christ. You know, I, you know, how many people, you know, I think of how many guys, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they work more than they should. And they lose that important time with their family. 
And all of a sudden, you know, the man, like so many men, get older to look back and they think, gee, what happened to my family? My time is gone. <laughs> and that's life. It passes us by so quickly. But you see, when we, we, we have Christ in our life, he, he gives us the ability to focus on the important things, the, the eternal things. We've often said this, you know what? All that stuff in your house, in your garage, all that property you own, all those investments and money you have, you are not taking one penny with you. You're not taking one stitch with you. Neither am I. We're either taking people with us or we're taking nothing. We're either taking people or we're taking nothing. So the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. Prophetically, uh, he's speaking here about Psalm, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, uh, written you know, by David, I believe, uh, you know, speaks to this particular time. It's, one of the, it's actually the first messianic psalm. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Against who? Against their neighbor, their enemy. No against the Lord and his anointed. And the word anointed there is where we get the word Messiah. See, man doesn't realize his thrashing about his anger, his warlike tendencies are ultimately against God. But man takes it out on their neighbor. And they say, let us break their, their bonds in pieces. And we see that today. God, I don't want your restraints. I don't want your commandments. I don't want your Bible. And we see that's happening in American society. We have said politically, get out, God. And we wonder why mayhem and violence and insanity is taking place within our borders. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't build a wall but I'll tell you what, you can build a wall all the way around this country and there's still going to be enough craziness and insanity to take place within this country if we ne never let another soul in. Because why? We did that to God. We said, God, leave us alone. We don't need you. We don't want you. We can work this out on our own. Now, I know we haven't done that. The church hasn't done that. But as a collective unit, Certainly our country has done that. And I always love, as you come to, I'm just going to touch on this last verse uh, in, in Psalm 2, where he says, kiss the son. In other words, embrace the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. See, that's always the answer. See, God doesn't just state what, you know, what's coming down, what's going to happen, and there's no hope. No, what he says to these angry nations, hey, kiss the son. And what he's saying is embrace Jesus Christ. And when that happens, there will be transformation and change. Well, let's move on here. Uh, verse 18b, uh, the time of the dead that they should be judged. Uh, hey, if a person's still alive, there's hope. Uh, but, you know, once they're dead, their eternal fate is decided. And folks, don't let anybody tell you Purgatory is real. That's a big lie from the devil. That's a big lie from the devil. 
because that means you can, you can live like the devil. And then when you get into, you know, the county jail, spiritual county jail, purgatory, uh, someone's going to bail you out by lighting some candles or saying some masses. Ain't happening. And I wonder how many people went into eternity thinking they were going to get delivered. The Bible says, it's given unto man to die once in what? Then the judgment. That's true for each and every one of us. He says, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, those who fear your name, small and great. So yes, there's going to be a day of reckoning, but you know what, too? There's going to be a day of reward. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that's why it's important. You want to live for Christ. We want to live for him now because, you know what, there's a day of reward when, you know what, you and I will say, it was worth it. There's crowns to be given, crowns to be gained. And also, too, uh, that uh, you, should or, and you should destroy those who destroy the earth. So uh, we find out also, too, from Scripture that God has given man a stewardship over the earth. Uh, we've kind of failed in it, haven't we? We've kind of raped the earth, and uh, we've mismanaged the natural resources. Things are polluted and poisoned, um, you know, destroyed, oftentimes by greedy motives and that sort of thing. Uh, I was, uh, did, did you hear about the great uh, Pacific garbage patch? Did you hear about that? It's, it's, it's somewhere between Hawaii and, and uh, Southern California. Uh, and, it's this, it's, and there's a current uh, called the Pacific Drift that moves you know, from Asia uh, to the west coast, west, western part of the United States, uh, a current there that picked up this garbage patch. And it's called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And it's two times the size of Texas. <laughs> now, if you've ever been to Texas, that's a pretty big state. I think it's our second biggest state. Can you imagine that? A, a, you know, a floating island of garbage? It's, you know, bigger than probably four or five American states. Absolutely incredible. Anyway, the Lord's coming back. He's going to clean up the mess, okay? Going to clean up the garbage. And so, verse 19, this chapter ends with an interesting occurrence. Uh, we find that the Ark of the Covenant is located. And Indiana Jones is nowhere in sight. <laughs> and of course, this is not the earthly Ark. This is the heavenly Ark. Remember the Ark and all the furnishings in the temple or the tabernacle, then the temple, were, were just a picture. They were a picture of what was already in heaven. And uh, as Moses was instructed, you know, and uh, in, in within the law, how to make those particular things. And they were simply a reflection they were simply to remind God's people of that time of what heaven, you know, what there was in heaven. And in the original ark, I think there was uh, Aaron's rod, the Ten Commandments, and the manna. There was the manna in a, in a container. And so, uh, and, and, you know, one of the big questions uh, that you find today, and there's books about it, movies about it, and that is basically what happened to the earthly ark. Well, you know, I thank God for the Bible. I thank God for, the, for his word because he's always got an answer. And, and here's the, the, the presupposition why people believe that the ark was never captured, that it was hidden somewhere. The presupposition is basically this, because remember the days of the Philistines when they captured the ark in battle? And they couldn't handle it, Okay. I mean, it was just, it was, it was slaying them, destroying the Philistine nature, uh, nation, so they gave it back to the Jews. 
And, and the supposition there is that God would never allow the ark to be captured. Why wouldn't he? What took place in the book of Judges was different from what took place when the kingdom of Judah ended. And when you look at the book of Ezekiel, God already lifted his presence from the temple. And you see, the ark basically was in the Holy of Holies, representing his presence. Here's what I believe. 2 Chronicles 36, and you can write it down, verse 18. And Ezekiel tells us here, excuse me, not Ezekiel, but the book of Chronicles, all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king and his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. And we're also told in verse 19, he destroyed all its precious possessions. I believe like everything else, it either went to Babylon or it was destroyed. End of it. But you know, when you write these books, you make a lot of money. You know, you make some of these presuppositions. A lot, a lot of books get, get written. Um, and the answer is already in the Bible. And so verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen. There were lightnings and noises and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So once again, I think what God is doing here is revealing some, some truth here, a key truth about Israel. First of all, this. The ark signifies that, is, that basically his covenant promises to Israel. And basically the earthly ark as it disappeared due to their sin and disobedience, it now reappears as they see, so to speak, it reappears and to indicate that God is simply fulfilling his covenant and his promises to the Jewish people. Remember we said there's two great themes in the book of, uh, uh, book of Revelation regarding the tribulation. First of all, this, bringing judgment to a Christ-rejecting world. That's why the church is taken out. At that, at that point, basically, um, the last Gentile has been saved for this age. And God sees, God knows who they are. And so it starts this tribulation period where judgment is going to come upon the world. But secondly, this, it's to fulfill his covenant promises and his faithfulness to the Jewish people. Remember we said in the beginning that God has not finished with them, that he has got a purpose to fulfill. So when this time, the, the, the days of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles, when that is fulfilled, and that is fulfilled as far as we are concerned, in chapter 3, as we come to the end of chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, and we go into this, basically, judgment period. And so God now, once again, as he, as he steps, in a sense, out of heaven, so to speak, will be directively, directly, actively, proactively involved uh, in bringing judgment uh, and revealing his purposes, where, in a sense, as John sees it, that he's taking his throne. He's taking over. The, the, the day of man will soon be over. I, I don't know when chapter 3 is going to end. We're, st we're in chapter 3. Chapter 2 or 3. But you know it can happen at any time. And the only insurance that you and I have or anybody would have today is to commit their life to Christ. That's the only insurance 
the only, and I'll tell you what, it's an ironclad guarantee. Like I said, there are many people that have heard about Revelation. They've read books about it. They've talked to people about it. They've heard radio broadcasts. But they refuse to commit their life to Christ. And they will realize and hopefully come to Christ during what is called here the day of the Lord. But you know what? We can do it now. Why not be a part of the great escape? Amen? Well, let's pray. Before we do pray, if you want prayer this morning, if God has spoken to you, and there may be some area, some need in your life, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you in our final prayer. Okay. Lord, you see each one of our hearts. And we realize, Lord, our need is for you. How often, Lord, this old world, it leaves us down. But, oh God, you are faithful. We see that, Lord, as we look in our study today, that you are a faithful covenant-keeping God. And you have always been faithful to your promises. And Lord, you tell us to come unto you. And Lord, to give our burdens to you. To commit our lives to you. To entrust to you all the things that perhaps we have tried to fix and we can't. And Lord, we look to you. We need your peace in our lives. Perhaps, Lord, we need fresh new purpose. But, Lord, for it to be your purpose. And, Lord, we need power. Lord, power to, to, to live in such a way. In such a way that would bring you glory and bring you honor. Also, Lord, to live in such a way, Father, where the things perhaps that have defeated us, things that we have struggled with. And perhaps even, Lord, as we look to you this morning, there, there may be some other person that we're very concerned about, that our relationship with them has really dramatically affected our lives. So, Lord, you see it all. We're thankful, Lord, nothing is hid from you. So, Lord, we commit ourselves, we commit our situations. And we ask once again, Father, for your grace, for your help, and Father, for fresh vision. Lord, give us the ability to, Lord, set our gaze, our focus upon you. Help us now, we pray. Thank you for your grace and your help. In Jesus' name, amen.